0: Hello and welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I'm broadcasting from W-O-U-F, woof, studios in beautiful Palms City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me again today. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday and you are going to want to check them out. Yes, you can also follow me on Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. Now on today's show, dog training, it's a logical thing. Yes, we're gonna talk about how to apply that logic when it comes to working with your dog and what exactly that means. Then we have, are captive animals necessary? Might be talking a little more on the exotic animal side today, a little of my experience with that, um, and, and I'll give you my feelings. <laughs> then comes the first pets, followed by the listener Q&A. And if you guys have questions for that listener Q&A, keep sending them my way. You can email me, questions at speakadogcast.com, or feel free to message me on social media as well. Now, before we get going with today's show, I have to give you that trivia question, and today's question is going to be, What? is the name of the fictional demonic dog in the original Ghostbusters movie? Yes, what is the name of the fictional demonic dog in the original Ghostbusters film? I'll give you the answer to that question somewhere in today's podcast, so be sure you stick around. Sit, stay, and enjoy the show. Next on Speak a Dog Cast, dog training. It's a logical thing. That would seem... Logical. It takes a bit of logic. It does. Dog training very much uh, requires logical black and white thinking. It definitely takes some common sense, and maybe a lot of people out there lack that. <laughs> maybe that's why we have so many misbehaving dogs. Uh, look, just being truthful, just being honest, it is a very logical thing, and it's very uh, simple. At the end of the day which is i think what makes it complicated for people yes dog training animal training it's very simplistic to some degree okay and the simplicity is that it's this way or that way the difficulty is this way or that way changes animal to animal species to species and that can be a little difficult to read those patterns then All right. So when we're talking about logic and dog training, we're going to be talking about the majority of the animals out there on the planet. We're not going to be talking about uh, self-aware animals, maybe a little bit about humans, uh, but we're not going to be talking about greater apes or elephants. Look, guys, I'm talking about majority of animals on this planet that do not have self-awareness that are operating on very much a basic level. Is that to say these animals do not have emotions? Absolutely not. That's not what I'm saying. But Look, the biggest thing with animals and emotions, let's, let's just get it out there. The biggest thing with animals and emotions is you absolutely cannot qualify and quantify emotions in animals. We have a hard enough time doing it with human beings, like, hello, uh, what makes us think? What makes us think that we can do it with an animal that cannot verbalize to us, that does not have self-awareness? How can an animal know what they're feeling without knowing that they exist or what they are? Let's not get into philosophy class today, guys, because to me, again, logical, let's base it in logic, okay? We've we've done plenty of studies to show that the majority of animals on this planet do not have self-awareness, okay? So logic dictates if they don't have self-awareness, it's going to be pretty hard to quantify and qualify emotions from that animal. Again, not saying they don't have them, but what I am saying is it's very arrogant of us to think that we can understand them, we can understand them to some degree. I know, David, you don't think you understand your animals emotionally? Not entirely, hell no. And to say you do is you're a fool. You're a fool if you believe that person because they can't prove that they fully understand that animal. Without being able to prove it, how do you know you're right? You see the problem here with animals and emotions, okay? So when we talk about logic, when we talk about um, you know logic and training, we have to take the emotional stuff and throw it away, guys. Get rid of it. Get rid of it because it's not going to help you in your training. It's only going to hinder you. And again, how do you ever know if your conclusion of the emotions on that animal is correct? You can't prove it. Okay. So when we talk about dog training, one of my favorite, one of my favorite things to tell you guys, K-I-S-S, keep it simple, stupid. Okay. Not saying it to be insulting for those of you non-Office fans out there. It's an Office reference. I know it's probably, a you know, people have said it before. It's not like it's just Michael Scott that said it, but (laughs) that's my reference to it. Um, but to me, there's, there's so much in that little phrase, keep it simple, stupid. Look, dissect this. I'm not calling animals stupid, okay? But the simplicity of their thinking is how we communicate with them, okay? I can hear, David, you're saying animals are dumb. No, I'm not. But guys, animals aren't exactly building civilizations and skyscrapers and creating societies. David, they create societies within their own construct of what they are from their instinct as an animal, you're correct. There you go, because it's what they are and what they know and it's their instinct telling them to do it, just as it's our instinct to, to be curious and to push further and to keep progressing, all right? So, we're not splitting hairs here, we're making it very simple and black and white. This is pretty simple to understand if you let your logical side of your brain work and take the emotional stuff and throw it away. Yeah, all right? So, K-I-S-S, keep it simple, stupid. When it comes to training dogs, we have to look at it simplistic, animals in general. All right, So look, this is, this is where we're going to start today's conversation. We've kind of already gotten into it, is what is logic when it comes to training dogs and animals? What is this um, simplicity I'm talking about? Then the next side of it is <laughs> all the illogical things that I see on social media and the internet when it comes to dog training. It fascinates me how these people get hundreds of thousands of views, right? And they're preaching their word, but then you go and you actually read and think goodness, and this this gives me hope, guys. Thank you. You read the comments and you see logic with these people going, dude, let me throw a logical debate at you, and they don't have a retort for it because you can't fight logic, right? That's the point. There's people out there calling out these trainers for for stupid things, and then the trainers don't have a response because they're wrong and they Probably know it, but they're getting lots of hits on the internet, aren't they? Yay, internet. Uh, (laughs) I know I talk crap about the internet, but that's how my podcast gets out there and the YouTube channel we're launching. Oh, okay. Uh, (laughs) Oh, my God. Guys, look, it's just like anything in life, it's all about balance. And I think the usage and the belief and everything we read on the internet has gotten out of balance. And that's, that's why we're at where we're at. Uh, and that's why it's important that people that have good information, logical information that we put it out there for people as well, because then you can take logic and go, well, let's see, this one makes sense. This guy sounds like an, an idiot. I simple. Okay. All right. So let's, let's backtrack back to the logic part. Look, to me, when it comes to animal training, the best way to approach that training is to look at the animal you're working with, realize what they are at their core and go from there. That's where we have to start. You have to start with an understanding of what that animal is. Just like I've talked about on this podcast before. If I'm working with a dog, I have to understand what a dog is. What's a dog? A dog's domesticated wolf. What are wolves? Wolves are pack migratory animals. Well, what does that mean? That means they they have a pack mentality. They uh, the walk and the, that routine is very much a part of their daily lives. It's instinctual fulfillment. Bah, 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 on and on. Okay, working with a tiger. What is a tiger? Well, a tiger sure as hell isn't a domesticated wolf. Oh, okay, well, let's see what's a tiger. What's a bear that I'm working with? A parrot, a bird. They're gonna have all these different logical things I can look at and dissect from and go, boy, I don't think the parrot's gonna wanna come back to me when I call it just out of its sheer willingness, right? You usually have to develop a relationship with the parrot, reward the behavior. Dogs will just come back to you because we built that in, right? So, oh, well, there's that distinction. I have to be able to see a parrot isn't just gonna wanna come to me in their own accord. I have to create that, hey, Dogs, sure. So knowing what they are at their core, using logic and common sense is going to allow me to have my first stepping stone toward training that dog, training that bird in a way that's going to work for both of us. You know, I, it's funny years ago when I first started working with more animals than just dogs and a lot of exotics, um, there was trainers I would meet that said, you want to get good at training. You want to like really get good at animal training, go train pigeons. Seriously, pigeons, like we, we, we train all these incredible animals and uh, amazing, and, and pigeons. Pigeons is what they told you to go train. I think birds in general, but pigeons is like the starting off point. Um, birds are so logical, black and white. Well, most of the time, it depends on when you get to a parrot. Ah, then we're getting more to the higher intellect. So, so forth, do they have it? We don't know. Okay. Uh, <laughs> look, does any here's the thing with the self-awareness te- no you know what let's let's not go down that road today let's not go down let's 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 stay on track here all right um, but again it's understanding what that animal is at their core first okay so again that that's why when you start working with a pigeon something like that you start seeing things in a very black and white way because it's a pigeon it's its brain is like this big you know um, and it allows you to start understanding these basic concepts of psychology and how to work with animals okay then you really want to get good at training, you start working with 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 parrots like macaws and and cockatoos. Man, those things are always, those birds are always trying to be a step ahead of you. And so that's the challenge is always trying to be ahead of the bird uh, and being able to head off those undesired behaviors and reward the stuff you like. And it's fascinating working with birds because they're just so fast. Fascin- I mean, some of you guys have probably seen that one uh, Amazon parrot on, on YouTube. He went on, a, what, America's Got Talent or something years ago, or maybe Americans, I don't, I don't, I don't I'll be honest, I don't really watch that stuff. Um, but sometimes I see the videos pop up. And you'll probably see that Amazon parrot, and you know, they have the microphone and they're doing the bit, and they are just boom, 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 behavior, 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 behavior. They're running through that routine quick. Because that's how fast those birds brain, you gotta you got move, you know, uh, excuse me. <clears throat> anyway, so point is, guys, logic and reason, okay? Keeping things simple. Looking at the animal for what they are at their core and building off of that. Look, we have a huge advantage with working with dogs. That's the thing. Like this is the this is this is why working with dogs is like second to none. It's just it's it's almost better than working with any other almost because exotics have their own. That's the thing. They're they're, they're so different and the same at the same time. Like working with a dog versus like a, a monkey or something crazy exotic and fun. Um, dogs are fun too. Don't get me wrong, but how many people can say they've worked with primates on a one-on-one full contact basis? Not many. And that's, that's cool. That into itself is just neat, right? Um, but the thing about dogs, the thing about dogs is we built this, this want to please human beings. We actually built that into their brains through this crazy domestication process, crazy eugenics project that, that human beings have been doing with dogs for thousands of years now. It's absolutely fascinating how we built in this, this, this little marker in their brain that says, hey, listen to that guy. <laughs> hey, that guy will give you good stuff. And it's incredible. And it would be fascinating to see that same project done with a different animal. The thing is, we're not, we, wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't be able to see those results in our lifetime. Because we're talking about genetics over thousands of years. And so when it comes to dogs, it makes it easier to train them. If you can tap into that basic instinct, basic understanding that one, a dog is a domesticated wolf, and two, they do have this willingness to please, right? My God, guys, if I had, if I had 10 bucks for every time somebody told me, oh, he wants to. I know, I, you know, when I walk into a dog, when I walk into a house with the dog is not behaving, oh, he wants to please. He wants to please. Like they're telling me news. Like, this is a new concept that the dog wants to please them. It blows my mind. It's like, guys, like, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but (laughs) come on. Of course he wants to please you guys. You're telling the expert, oh, he wants to. Excuse my language, but no, (laughs) Sherlock. Like, (laughs) really? No. Uh, Guys, of course they do. We made them that way. Like, this this is what's incredible about working with a dog. They want to please you. So if you can keep it logical, simple, and basic, it's incredible the results you can get. So again, guys, when it comes to dogs, here's, the, here's how you do it. You have to look at your dog and go, is my dog giving me the behavior I want? Are, are they giving me a desired behavior in this moment right now? Yes. Okay. Reinforce it and strengthen and reinforce that behavior. Okay. Let's look at the other side. Is my dog doing what I want? No, they're giving me an undesired behavior. I need to redirect or punish that behavior or to decrease it. Did my redirection work? Yes, good. Now is the dog doing the right thing? Yes, good. Reinforce it. If you can take logic and common sense and apply it to your training and get rid of the emotional stuff, you'll have success before you know it. You'll be shocked how quickly you will have success with your dog. Look, I tell people a lot. I go, look, I, I, everybody wants their dog to be happy, right? We all we want our dogs to be happy and be fulfilled, And I tell you, if you just take care of your dog's instinctual dog fulfillments, being a dog, structure, rules, boundaries, affection, running, playing, walks, chasing, chewing. If you take care of those instinctual fulfillments for your dog in a healthy, balanced way, you're not going to have to worry about your dog being happy or sad because your dog is going to be happy. Again, I can't ask your dogs again, but I can tell you, I know if I instinctually fulfill myself, I know if other people in life, other humans are instinctually fulfilled, they're happier. We we can see that result. So I could come to the same conclusion with a dog without having to put my emotions onto it. I can just go, give my dog everything they need as a dog. Give my dog the fulfillment they need as a domesticated wolf, and they'll be happy as can be. It's that simple, guys. It's that simple. That's what logic is. And I think that's part of the reason I truly uh, love animal psychology because it makes sense. It's logical, it's black and white, and there's no gray area. Awesome. Now, onto the second part of this segment uh, from the inside out. <laughs> I saw somebody on Instagram the other day who's a trainer who's getting hundreds of thousands of hits. Who basically, and and I watch the videos, and I'm sorry, there's not much dog training going on there, and they claim there is. And they show just snippets. They don't really show success. They show snippets. And I get it. It's the internet. You have a reel. You've only got a minute. You have five seconds to catch people's attention. Like, I get everything that goes into that. I do. But you're lying to people, this person. And there's multiple. It's not just this one person. But his whole thing is... He wants a dog to do something because they want to do it from the inside out. Oh. We tugging at heartstrings, aren't we? Tugging at heartstrings from the inside out. He wants the dog to do it because the dog wants to do it. Guys, I've got news for you. Dogs don't do anything because they want to do it. I know people don't want to hear this. I know. I'm sorry, but they don't. They do it because they're conditioned to. Yeah. And the funny thing is you're sitting there going, Oh, I want him to do it because he wants to do it. No, he's doing it because you're waving a treat in front of his face. Like, what? There's no inside out here, guys. They are not self-aware. You can't sit here and tell me this creature is wanting to do it from the inside out when they have no self-awareness. You're lying to people and you're, you're creating dangerous situations because they're talking about working with a reactive dog. And this dog is six feet in front of the owner and we have a success because the dog, after 20 seconds, will maybe give up and then come back to the owner and then get a reward. Maybe. But there's not really any focus happening. There's not really any redirections happening. There's nothing really changing the, the behavioral pattern. And it's very obvious when you watch it. And the dog doesn't have focus on the owner. It'll take the treat and then the owner's chop liver again. And it's just... it's It's... <laughs> Look, it's very honest. It makes my job more difficult when people put out bad information like that, because then I walk into a home and I go, "Well, I read on the internet. Well, I read this. Well, I read that. Well, I read this. Well, I know that I read that." And I, I look. I, I'll be honest. I'm at a point in my career now where I just kind of will turn to people and go, "If you read on the internet, then you don't need me here." So, like, I'm sorry, but you've asked for my advice as a professional. I'm not going to come into your home and then let you dictate to me how we're going to do things. You are not getting success with your dog and your behavior. Here's logic, guys. You are not getting success with your dog and and their behavior, and now you've called in a professional because you need that help, but you're telling me my advice is not correct. And that's fine, you wanna feel that way, fine. But I'm not gonna, I'm not, hire somebody else. Hire the internet to train your dog. You know, speaking of, virtual training. (laughs) Look, it's one thing to hire a professional through virtual training. Cool, I'm all for that. Even not me, I don't care. Uh, hire a professional, guys. But saying you've read something on the internet or if you've watched 20-minute, 20 20-second 20 blurb clips on Instagram and you think you can know how to train your dog and figure it out from that, no. Like, no. Uh, look, I have to give a shout-out to one of my listeners. Um, you know, she's been listening for a long time and she said how much the podcast has truly helped her dog. And she said she's listened to every episode and that's just it, like, also... Amazing. Thank you. That's so incredible. Uh, But that's just it. You know why she's had success with her dog? Because she doesn't pick and choose one episode here. She listens to the whole thing. I'm not telling you you have to listen to everything. That's not like what I'm trying to say here. Um, But the point I'm trying to make is you have to take all the information. You can't take one little piece here and go, well, my dog should be trained now. You can't just uh, read one thing on the internet and expect your life to change overnight. It takes hard work, it takes dedication, and it takes putting in the time and effort and educating yourself on what the proper thing is to do, having the proper tools, logic and common sense. It's what it takes to train dogs, guys. So I just have to call out all these Instagram trainer warriors, keyboard warriors, whatever. uh, (laughs) Take everything with a grain of salt, including myself. Go take my information and hold it up to somebody else's and see what you think. Maybe you won't like what I'm saying. Maybe you will. Maybe you'll discover what I'm saying makes logical sense because everything I do, I try to base on logic and reason and common sense. And for that matter, the psychology that goes into it that I didn't make up, these aren't my rules. This This is the rules of nature that I follow. And I hope you should, you do and will too, right? Okay. So just remember that, guys don't believe anybody, even myself. Go take my information and hold it up elsewhere and see what happens. That's how we learn what a good information is. We compare it. We don't take everything blindly. You have to compare information and see logic and common sense. It's amazing on if we apply those things even to our own lives. What a difference you can see. All right. So again, guys, I implore you, please use logic. Please use common sense Keep everything simple. K-I-S-S. Keep it simple, stupid, right? Uh, We want to make things very black and white for our dogs to understand. At the end of the day, dogs are basic creatures. It's not a slight to them. It's what makes them fantastic. So we have to understand that. Treat them as what they are. And don't forget, guys, the internet is the internet, and there is a lot of info out there. Don't take my word for it. Take the information I give you. Hold it up to somebody else's information. Put both techniques into play. See what happens. See what result you get. But I promise you, you use logic and reason and you'll get the results that you're looking for with your dog. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help offering a wide variety of services such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and now offering virtual training as well. For more information, check out our website, www.thenatureoftraining.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. Located in beautiful Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet. Speak of Dogcast, are animals in captivity necessary? Short answer, yes. <laughs> okay, that's the short answer. We're gonna get into the long answer. There are so many benefits to having animals in captivity. There are, but there is a right and a wrong way to do it, just as anything in life, guys. There's a right and a wrong way to do literally everything I can think of in life. And I, I would hope you always wanna err on the side of doing it right, doing it the right way. And so having animals in captivity can be one of these sort of touchy subjects. It's it's a hot topic, right? I mean, it really is. And you're going to hear certain loud voices say that no animal should be be in captivity ever. Now, we're going to start the segment right there. That's that's where we're going to begin, because there are certain loud voices and certain organizations out there that say they have animals' best interest at heart when they don't. You guys probably know who I'm talking about. <laughs> okay, but here's the thing. There's, there's a distinction we have to make when we talk about animals and animals in captivity and the, what's best for, there's animal rights and then there's animal welfare. I am all for animal welfare. I am not for animal rights. I'm the first one to admit it. You heard me. I don't believe animals have rights. I'm sorry, I just don't. Should we look out for the better welfare of an animal? You betcha. Should we do what's in the best interest of an animal? Absolutely. Should we look out for the animal's health? You got it. Mental well-being? I'm there. That's animal welfare, guys. Conservation efforts. Education efforts. Animal welfare. Reintroducing species to the wild. Zoos, universities, research, studies. Animal welfare. Animal rights, on the other hand... They want to do away with animals in captivity altogether. Do away with the research. Do away with the understanding. Do away with the reintroduction programs. Do away with you having a pet in your home. Don't believe me? Go research it yourself. Animals in captivity is animals in captivity, guys. That's a generalized, broad term they choose to use. And what they're really saying is any animal that's not in the wild. That includes your domesticated dog, hamster, ferret, cat, chicken. They consider people having chickens captivity. They're not wrong, but they think captivity in and of itself is wrong. So, the distinction between animal welfare and animal rights is very important. And I do hope you're all for animal welfare, absolutely. But animal rights gets a little nuts. It gets a little too far. Because to me, if we're not making conservation efforts, if we're not working on breeding and reintroduction programs, are we really looking at what's in the best interest of the animal? Are we looking at what's in the best interest of your emotions and what you're feeling? Hmm. That's a thinker, isn't it? So when it comes to these loud voices that think they know everything about animals, why don't you actually go look up the reality of what they stand for? Because one day they might be coming for your pet. You heard me right, guys. This is why I am pro animals in captivity done correctly, done in a healthy way. I am all for zoos. I support zoos. I support universities doing research and conservation efforts. Look, the biggest thing that I always say, and, and we're not, we're not going to get into the SeaWorld debate today, but I have just one thing to say to you guys. When there's an oil spill and all the seals and wildlife, they're covered in oil, who's on the beach cleaning them up? What organization is it? Because I can tell you who it's not, and I can tell you who it is. You know who it is? SeaWorld. SeaWorld's always there, aren't they? So people can say and bash and whatever they... like. I've known people that work at SeaWorld, uh, personally, and they're good people. And they love animals, and they want to do what's in the best interest of an animal. And so when I hear people that have never had a day in their life work one-on-one with an animal, never in a day in their life worked in these, any of these organizations, think they know everything, try again. So... Animals in captivity can be done correctly, can be a wonderful thing. I learned more from one-on-one, full contact experiences with animals than I ever could reading a book, watching a video, listening to a podcast. I mean, seriously, guys, I can't stress it enough that any animal, you want to get good at working with them, you have to work with them. You want to get good at understanding them, understand how they tick, their instinct, their psychology, their emotions. You're not going to understand that. (laughs) Okay. You want to understand these things, you have to work one-on-one with them. And the only way to truly work one-on-one with them and gain that experience is a captive situation. We can learn so much from animals if we work with them. How about all of the, let's go back to it. You know, the very beginning, all of these animals disappearing off our planet guys, and there are countless Countless zoos doing amazing work to do breeding programs and reintroduction programs. It's amazing. Look, uh, the California condor is actually one of the most prime examples from the United States. California condors, a, a condor, is a gorgeous bird of prey, um, beautiful. I, mean, I don't know if you've ever if you've ever uh, seen them in flight. They're just absolutely spectacular. Their wingspan, I believe, is eight and a half feet. If I remember correctly, about eight and a half feet. Um, just absolutely spectacular birds. Spectacular. And they are back in the wild, thank you to conservation efforts in zoos. Do you see animal rights organizations stepping up and putting any money or anything toward reintroduction programs, breeding programs, ensuring that these animals will be here tomorrow for the next generation? No, they're not. They are not. So animals in captivity, you notice the people who are keeping them in captivity are the ones actually making a concerted effort toward keeping them around, okay? So, there is nothing wrong, guys. There is absolutely nothing wrong with animals in captivity if it's done correctly. Now, here's the sad part of it. For a very long time, we all know it, guys. Human beings, we're, we're, we're not the best creatures on this planet, are we? And for a very long time, human beings did not do things correctly with animals, for the most part, right? There's people who did. There's people who did along the way, and they're the reason we are progressing and where we are now, but, the reality is we didn't treat animals with as much respect as we should have and we've learned and and again guys I'm not one to sit here and judge the past I wasn't there I you weren't there we can't play that game but what we can do is learn from the past and move forward from it and be better than they were to me that's 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 the ultimate you know step of evolution right there be better than you were yesterday that's awesome so I know there's been a lot in the past where animals have not been treated properly and that it's sad and it's heartbreaking, it is. But that doesn't mean we can't do it right moving forward. So I encourage you guys to go out and support your local zoos, get involved. A lot of these zoo, uh, zoos actually have volunteer programs that allow you to come and be involved uh, and be a part of the action to some degree, right? Uh, you're not going exactly gonna get to go in and work with elephants right away, <laughs> you know? Uh, But I encourage you, go check it out. You may have not even thought, oh, wow, my zoo might let me be a volunteer. That would be the coolest thing ever. Yes, it would. Go volunteer at your local zoo. Uh, There's so many local organizations. Look, by me, we have the Treasure Coast Wildlife Center around the corner, wonderful organization. They do a a great job rehabilitating natural Florida wildlife and getting them back into the wild. If if the animal can't be rehabilitated to a point in the wild, they give them a permanent home. Nice little local place right here in my hometown. You guys have them in your hometown too. Find them, check them out. They need your help. They need your volunteer time. They need the extra hands, okay? So I encourage you, if you wanna learn more about animals, you truly wanna gain an understanding, you have to work hands on. You gotta get involved with them. So go find your local, even a dog, right? Come on guys, this is a dog podcast. Go to a dog shelter too. I know we're talking a little more on the exotic animal side today, but get out there and get involved. You wanna improve your dog training. Go work with 20 different personality dogs at the shelter, and it'll help improve your skills. You'll hone them, right? Uh, So things to consider here, guys. A lot to think about. But at the end of the day, to me, there's a big difference between animal rights and animal welfare. You'll notice the animal rights people are not the ones on the beach cleaning up the animals when they're covered in oil. You'll notice the animal rights people are not the one making conservation efforts, reintroduction and breeding programs. No attempt to actually help these animals out in the wild. Who is SeaWorld, zoos, universities, wonderful private organizations, nonprofits. These are the people putting in the actual time, effort, money, and dedication it takes to save these wonderful animals we have on our planet. So don't forget that, guys. Get out there, get involved in your local zoos, your local animal shelters, rescues. Put your hands into the mix, get involved, and learn more. Knowledge is power, guys. All right? So, Conservation is key, and the only way to do that is through animals in captivity. If it's done in the right way to make the animal happy and healthy, there's nothing wrong with it. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's the first pets. Today on The First Pets, we'll be talking about George H. Bush. Now, George Bush Sr., he was the 41st president of the United States, serving from 1989 to 1993. Now, before becoming president, Bush had served as an ambassador, a congressman, and the director of the CIA. He also served in World War II, and at the age of only 18, he was the youngest person assigned to the position of naval aviator. Now, the Bush family, they were always dog lovers. Yes, when they were in the White House, they had perhaps one of the most famous presidential pets. It was a a Springer Spaniel named Millie. Now, she became very popular with the public after Barbara Bush had wrote a book titled Millie's Book, as dictated to Barbara Bush. Now, this ended up reaching the top spot on the New York Times nonfiction bestseller in 1992. Now, the book recounted a day in the life of the presidential dog, yes. And Millie was named after Mildred Caldwell Kerr, a longtime family friend of the Bush family. Now, Millie became a mother while in the White House, having a litter of puppies, and there is a famous picture of the president walking on the White House lawn with Millie and all of her puppies following behind. Now, all the dogs were given away to other homes, with the exception of one puppy, it was a male named Ranger in honor of the Texas Rangers baseball team. Now, the President and Ranger had an almost instantaneous bond. He accompanied him to briefings and meetings and meeting dignitaries, dinner parties, and more. The Ranger also had an interest in chasing squirrels around the White House. President Bush actually said that he remembered once he was in the Oval Office having quite a serious meeting about a, a serious topic, and in comes Ranger with a squirrel tail hanging out one side of the mouth and the head hanging out the other. (laughs) Yeah, you know, he would jokingly say that the Reagans used to feed the squirrels, and his dogs ate them. (laughs) I like it. Uh, It's a funny sense of humor. Sadly, the Bushes had Ranger for only four short years. (sighs) They lost him to cancer, which is really just a shame. Ah, yeah, you know... Quoting Barbara Bush, she said, The pleasure George got from his dog Ranger, taking flying leaps over imaginary logs, cannot be described. We have always lived in a happy house, but nothing matched this special place. Referring to the White House. Now, another one of Millie's puppies did end up coming back to the White House again when George W. Bush entered office with his dog Spot. The answer to today's trivia question what is the name of the fictional demonic dog in the original Ghostbusters movie? It's Zool. Yes, the famous line can be heard in the original film, there is no Dana, only Zool." when Zool is possessing the character Dana's body. One of my all-time favorite movies. Now, interesting little note here, Zool is actually a minion of the god as known as Gozer, who was worshipped as a demigod by the Sumerians, Mesopotamians, and the Hittites in 6000 BC. It is believed that the souls of the dead were ruled by Gozer and protected by a powerful gatekeeper and Keymaster. But in order for Gozer to rise up and walk the human plane again, the gatekeeper and Keymaster had to assume the form of beasts. So it's kind of cool that actually Ghostbusters took a little bit of history there and applied it to the movie. So, uh, Zool, yes, Zool is the name of the demonic dog from Ghostbusters. Next on Speaky Dogcast, it's the listener Q and A. The first question today comes from Joey from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Joey asks, "I cannot get my dog to stop barking at every little noise he hears. I know I am probably not doing the right thing here; otherwise, he would have stopped." Good point, Joey. (laughs) I admit that sometimes we yell at him to stop, and that only sometimes works. How do I get this behavior to end? Okay, Joey, so first things first, uh, you know, look, you're, you're right, right? I mean, whatever you're doing, it's not working, otherwise your dog would stop. Good point. That's poignant, man. I love it. <laughs> but um, so, so here's the thing. Your dog should bark at the front door, right? Dogs naturally, instinctually want to protect their home, uh, want to protect the people they like, so want to protect their pack, right? So th- he, your dog should bark when the doorbell rings your dog should bark if he hears something really crazy outside maybe not the sound of a pin drop right so that's the thing is we need to teach him the distinction between dude don't worry about that and yeah let me know okay so how do we do that you have to tell him it's pretty simple you have to tell him through the use of uh, through the uh use of a correction, excuse me, through some form of correction, you're gonna to have to tell your dog to stop barking in the moment that you want him to stop barking. This does require you taking an active role and actually you know, getting up and, and doing something about it. If you're in the other room, it doesn't matter. You've gotta get up and go into the other room and actively correct him. Whether that's a touch correction, a collar correction, maybe just trying to snap your finger and redirect him with a, hey, or, or something like that. You know, nothing wrong with that. I want you to try to redirect the behavior first, but look, based off of what you're telling me in this question, it sounds like it's a pretty intense, he's he's intent on this. This isn't gonna stop with a, hey, cut it out, right? Because you're telling me to yell at him and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So no, you have to provide some form of physical punishment to get him to stop, it's that simple. A little touch correction, nothing crazy, we're not, we're not talking uh, anything nuts here, okay? But yeah, some form of correction. And then if he goes back to barking again, correction. Now, here's the important thing, if he stops barking, you gotta look at him and tell him, good boy right? Maybe give him a treat, a reward. But you have to reinforce and strengthen the behavior once he stops barking. If he completely gives up on the noise and just stops all together, tell him, Good boy, give him a handful of treats, give him a little jackpot reward there, okay? Um, But really when it comes down to it, it's a matter of telling him in the moment that you don't like him doing it, that you don't like him doing it, and give him a reason to stop. It's that simple. And then again, make sure you're telling him you like it once he does stop. Now, when it comes to the front door, somebody coming to the front door, I don't know if he's crazy at the front door, but feel free to go back and listen to my other segments on the front doors. A few of them titled The Front Door, The Front Door 2.0. There's quite a few that we've done now. Uh, I think there's one called Knock Knock, Who's There? It's Your Barking Dog. That's another good one for you. Another good segment to go check out. Knock Knock, Who's There? It's Your Barking Dog. That's the name of the the podcast episode. I liked that one. Uh, That'll be a good one for you to check out. So be sure you uh, listen to that, and I hope the information helps out. Next question, this comes from Jill from Boston, Massachusetts. Jill says, my dog is a four-year-old wire fox terrier. Now, when he plays with my friend's dog, who is a puppy, he sounds like he is killing him. Goes for the neck and shakes him around. How rough is too rough? Jill, excellent question, because this is, this is a tough one sometimes where people have a tough time deciding um, what is too rough, right? Because some dogs do like to play rough and there's nothing wrong with that. However, It sounds to me like, you know, we've got a a terrier. We've got a fox terrier here. It sounds to me he's acting like a little bit of a terrier. Um, And sometimes that that, that is too much. I'm hearing it sounds like it's too much. When they start going, it's one thing to go for the neck playfully, okay? Dogs do naturally play with each other, and mouth each other around the neck, but it's kind of this like loose. You know, if you're watching the video version of this, the loose version of this mouthing, you may not be able to yet. We're working on getting the YouTube channel. I promise, guys, we're working on it. We're working on it. Uh, but the loose mouthing versus like intent going after the neck, kind of like going for a kill shot, if you will. It sounds to me that's more like what's happening here. And yeah. That's too rough. I'm not a fan of that. Okay. Shaking him around, mm, no, no, no. Got to stop that. Okay. God forbid he does it to a smaller dog or something like that. And, you know, you don't want him to hurt him. I mean, you know, it's extra. Not a big, but nonetheless, we don't want him hurting anybody, anything. um, Gets a hold of a cat one day. You know, I don't know. It's just kind of speculation on things that could happen, but can. That's just it. So, no, when it comes to that kind of intensity, you're going to want to stop it. It's definitely too rough. Uh, You got to get in there, redirect it, tell them to stop, break them apart. Okay. And don't make too big. not like ah you know, not a big deal. Just get in there, break it up. Okay. Let them go back to playing. He starts playing too rough again. Get in there, break them up. Hopefully with enough, you know, hopefully with enough repetition, uh, they start to understand, hey, every time I go nuts and a little too intense, I, I, I almost, you know, kind of theoretically a timeout, if you will, I get pulled away. But every time I play lightly, they let me keep playing going to take some repetition it's definitely going to take some consistency and persistence on your part um but going in there strategically and and it, it, you know you, look again i can't i can't see what's happening so i need you to kind of be strategic about where that line is but i look for that intensity how they're going in if it's kind of a light mouth around the neck sure playfully sure but if it's this intense darting for them and there's there's that uh, uh growl and intense behind it That's too much. Might also be a good idea to let your dog uh, drag around a leash and again, monitored, don't leave them on, don't leave them unmonitored like this, but let your dog drag a leash around. So that way, if you do feel like it's getting too intense in the play, you don't even have to reach in in the middle of it. You can grab the leash and easily redirect your dog away. Maybe even leash up the puppy too, you know, that we can easily pull them away. Uh, but there's nothing wrong with letting them drag a leash around as long as you're monitoring it and you're making sure, you know, they're being safe. So uh, I hope that helps you out. But to me, I, you know, look, I go for the general rule of thumb with playtime that I prefer playtime to be mostly silent, mostly, right? Little grunts here and there, and little ones, sure. But when we start getting like, it escalates, right? That gets a little more intense. I hope you like my dog impersonations there. (laughs) Okay, so find that line there and keep him on the right side of it. It's up to you to get in and intervene. So uh, good luck with that, Jill. And let me know if you have any other questions. That'll wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday. Follow me on Instagram at speak a Dogcast. And if you love what you're hearing, give me that five star rating. Have a wonderful week. And don't forget to get out there and walk your dog.